Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. Yes, that could mean you too. The workouts have been designed to fit into your life so you can move when you can. The 15 minutes you can squeeze in before work. The 20 minutes you get to yourself while the baby naps. The half hour you can spare at lunch. There's a routine for you no matter what your day looks like. A reminder as well, this is included in your Mum Mia subscription. If you are a Mum Mia subscriber, you already have access to Move. Download the Move app and log in with your Mum Mia login. Head to move.mamamia.com.au and use code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. From Mamma Mia, hi, I'm Claire Murphy. Welcome to The Quickie, getting you up to speed daily. How do you accurately contact trace? Is the coronavirus now airborne? Can we contain it in Victoria? And where are the vaccine trials at right now? It may be more a human behaviour issue than a change in the virus that has led to this outbreak in Victoria. Just like we thought the hoarding of supermarket items was in our past, so did we think doing another episode of The Quickie on all the questions we have about COVID-19 right now. But here we are again, facing the dreaded second wave with still so many things we need to know. Today, we're going to try and get to the bottom of some of them. When we were told COVID-19 was something that would just always be with us, at least until a vaccine was found, be honest, did you think that it meant that in a few months we'd be over the worst of it and could essentially get back to life per normal? Many of us did. And we were wrong. In the past two weeks, outbreaks in Melbourne have seen the city and surrounding suburbs placed back into stage three lockdown. People forced to stay home unless they need to go to work, study, to care for someone or to buy essentials like food. In some cases, like for the 3,000 residents of the public housing towers in Flemington and Kensington, it was a hard lockdown. No notice to prepare for not being able to leave for days on end. Every single person tested. Healthcare workers have been going door-to-door testing everyone in hotspot suburbs. Some 10,000 people have refused. But before community transmission became an issue in Victoria, it was returned international passengers carrying the virus into the country that accounted for the majority of new cases. Recent figures released by the Prime Minister's office shows the highest number of international passengers in the month leading up to July 7, just over 39,000 of them, landed in Sydney, just over 15,000 in Melbourne and 10,000 in Brisbane. The Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade say they've helped more than 357,000 expat Aussies return home since the beginning of March when we closed the borders. But while we were initially told it was large family gatherings ignoring social distancing when restrictions were eased that accounted for some of the outbreaks, it was revealed that contractors and subcontractors recruited security staff in the wake of increased demand for hotel quarantine requirements, giving them just five minutes training, a mask and a glove, before sending them off to oversee hundreds of people recently returned from overseas. There were breaches, giving the virus the opportunity to escape hotel confines and go back to circulating in the community. It's easy to peer over the closed borders of Victoria and point fingers at how things might have been handled. But how close are we to having the exact same thing happen in the other states and territories? To help us with that question and many more that we have about COVID-19 2.0 is infectious disease specialist at Canberra's Australian National University, Dr Sanjaya Sananayaka. Doctor, can we talk about contact tracing first? How do we possibly find all the people who've come into contact with all the infected people and how do we find out how they caught it initially? So contact tracing, the hope would be 
that you do find 100% of the contacts in a very timely manner. So that is the aim. That's the objective. I saw one paper saying that maybe out of the non-household contacts, so people who don't live with you, the close contacts that you've had, you might miss about 5% of them. So generally the feeling is that most of the contacts are being picked up, particularly in a place like Australia. I think in a place like the US where they're having such a huge load of COVID, then that really might put a strain on the public health services. But it is not an easy process. They did a study in Sheffield where they actually got some volunteers to get trained up to do contact tracing. And they found that every time they called a case to find out who they'd been in touch with, it would take about 80 minutes each call. So it does take a lot of time, but it's definitely worth the effort. Are we using this app at all? Is it helpful? Look, the app, from what I've heard, it has been used in at least one, maybe a couple of clusters in Australia. And I think it will help. So anything that can help the public health authorities do their contact tracing is worth taking up. The last figures I saw was that about 6 million Australians had taken it up, which is great. But I think if more could take it up, that would be better. And it would definitely make it a lot easier for the public health authorities if they could just look at that electronic data and just work out contacts from there. But of course, that means they would still have to keep doing what they have been doing and calling up cases and finding out their contacts in that old-fashioned way. But yeah, it is possible the COVID app might help them find other contacts they may not have known about. How is this virus spreading? We've been told from the very beginning that the 1.5 metre social distancing measure is all we need because We'll cough or sneeze, droplets that'll fall in that radius around us or onto whatever surface that it happens to land on. But we've just seen over 200 scientists write a letter to the WHO saying we should stop ignoring the fact that this virus is airborne. Should we be treating it like it's in the air around us? Look, I think it's really important to look into this. I don't know if we can make a definitive conclusion, but what we know about any droplet infection is that in certain situations, it can become airborne. And we know that in the hospital settings, now with SARS back in 2003, where they were using nebulizers, that was generating aerosols. So any droplet infection can generate aerosols in certain conditions in the hospital setting. So it does follow that in certain settings in the community as well that this could happen. And it may turn out that we are seeing some airborne spread of this infection, but the majority of it will be droplet. But as the World Health Organization has said, they're definitely going to look at all this data that has been submitted from these many scientists with interest and assess it. And I think you just have to be objective with this and have an open mind with this virus because we're still learning so much about it six months into the outbreak. Is the COVID-19 coronavirus behaving any differently during this second wave outbreak in Victoria? Is it still as contagious? Has it mutated? It does seem to be a lot more community transmission this time around. So is there any difference in the virus itself? We can't definitively say at this stage whether the virus has mutated to the point where it's caused a change in behaviour and how it infects people. That will come with genetic studies in the next few weeks to months. But the reality is this could all just be that it's the same virus behaving the same way. But in Victoria, we have unfortunately seen some lapses 
and breaches in infection control protocols and social distancing in the way that some family members have been unwell and supposedly mixed with other family members at gatherings and all the issues with security guards and the hotel quarantine. So it may be more a human behaviour issue than a change in the virus that has led to this outbreak in Victoria. What are our chances of containing it in Victoria right now? Is it just a matter of time before it spreads over borders, especially to New South Wales and it's back into lockdown for everyone else? Not necessarily. We're here in the ACT and we had three cases which have been associated with Melbourne that have appeared, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to become an uncontrollable outbreak. So I don't necessarily think that we will have an uncontrollable outbreak in other parts of the country. Having said that, it is possible some cases may have come from Victoria into other states and it might lead to a localised outbreak, but it doesn't necessarily mean that an uncontrollable outbreak is a foregone conclusion. And similarly, in Victoria, even though it's ended up being quite a big outbreak and they've had to take some pretty extreme measures, I would still hope that it might take a few weeks, but they can get on top of this outbreak. Can we do anything to ourselves to make us more resilient from catching COVID-19? There's so much talk about boosting your immunity and ways and means in which you can do so, but is there anything you can physically do other than just be in good health to make yourself more resistant to catching a virus? Look, to my knowledge, no. I haven't seen any good data talking about supplements, etc., that make a significant difference to your immune system. So just exercising, eating healthy, being in a healthy state of mind, all the things that we would normally do, I would continue to do. And beyond that, I don't know of anything else that makes a big difference. A lot of the infections that we're seeing and where these infections spread from initially here in Australia and Victoria was from return travellers from international flights. Should we be stopping people from coming in from overseas right now? The Victorian situation, we've certainly talked about hotel quarantine being an issue in terms of breaches, but other cities like Sydney have hotel quarantine and we haven't heard of any major breaches or big outbreaks arising from those. So I think that we don't necessarily need to stop international flights to everywhere in Australia if we can be confident that we can maintain good infection control practices in those settings. Now, Victoria, on the other hand, if they can't find or correct what has happened in their hotel quarantine setting, then then perhaps they have to stop doing it until they're confident that they can have a completely safe environment for people in hotel quarantine. Where is the science at as far as vaccines and treatments go? There's been a lot of talk that there's a lot of labs doing different forms and stages of testing. But what what do we actually have right now? Are there vaccines that are close to being completed? Are there treatments that are showing promise? Where's the science at? The vaccine race is going well relative to other vaccines. So the quickest vaccine we've ever developed has been the mumps vaccine, which took four years. So we are looking at getting a COVID vaccine developed much more quickly. However, as the World Health Organization Director General said fairly recently, we're still looking at being a year away from that. So we've still got quite a way to go, but there are a number of large trials going on in humans for different vaccine candidates and hopefully that'll continue to progress well. But I don't see this being available to you and me here in Australia until well into next year. In terms of treatments, 
I guess the biggest breakthrough has been that a steroid, not like an anabolic steroid that people use to get muscles, etc., but corticosteroids, which is a different type of steroid, one called dexamethasone is very useful in reducing the death rate in critically ill people with COVID who are in hospital or intensive care. And that's really important because dexamethasone is a drug that's been available for decades. It's very cheap and it's available widely around the world. So that's really good to know. What's probably not so helpful with the study that showed that is what about people in the community who've got COVID and just want to get over it more quickly? We haven't got any medications that make a difference there. There is also a medication called remdesivir, which was developed for Ebola, but has now been used in COVID treatment. And it looks like it's very promising. It seems to reduce people's hospital stay by about four days, according to a trial in the US. We haven't really shown a mortality or a difference in, in death rates yet, but that might come out in the future. The limitations with that is it's extremely expensive and it's only an injection. So people in the community can't use it. Although I believe that there's an intranasal form, so something you can put into your nose that is being developed for that medication. So we've still got a long way to go. And at the moment, we are relying on our basic public health strategies of detecting cases through testing, through good contact tracing, and of course, the other containment measures like physical distancing and not mixing with people when we're sick. So all those basic measures are the most important measures at the moment. That's all for the quickie today, but if you have questions you need answered about the current status of the coronavirus situation in Australia, send us an email. We'll do our best to find the answers. The quickie at mamamia.com.au. This episode was produced by Melanie Tate with audio production by Ian Camilleri. <laughs>